what we're going to do today is it's Thanksgiving week. I don't know if you guys heard. Turkey, the whole thing, right? We just did Friendsgiving. And normally, uh, what we do, well, anyway, I'm going to do this a little different. I'm going to start with these two quotes, and then I'll explain what we're doing. So the first quote is by a guy named J.I. Packer. And what he said is, Christian doctrine is grace, and Christian conduct is gratitude. That's a good quote. Another guy, R.C. Sproul, uh, who's one of my favorites of all time, uh, he says, the essence of Christian doctrine, of Christian, sorry, theology is grace, and the essence of Christian ethics is gratitude. Okay, so J.I. Packer and R.C. Sproul were like two of the, the giants of theology in um, the, especially, I mean, the like, you know, late 20th, mid, late 20th century. Wait, what did I just see? Some kid was like the late 20th century band Nirvana or something. And I was like, oh, no, you know, <laughs> made me feel very old. But anyway, so these two guys were like giants of our faith and of theology. And um, so let me make my font a little bigger. And both of them separately kind of came to this same conclusion here. Uh, do you see that they're both saying the exact same thing just in kind of different ways? That what we believe is that we're saved by grace. And then basically most of how we act and how you can sum up like how we behave is summed up with the idea of gratitude. So it's tempting, I think, to think of our faith as like a bunch of compartments, okay? I got to go to all these different compartments and sort of master these different things, right? So over here, I got to work on my faith. And over here, I got to work on my giving. And over here, Stratum Grant, by the way. And over here, I got to work on joy. And then I come over here and church life. And over here is whatever. And over here is, you know, something like that. Um, but these guys are both saying something else. It's way more simple than that, okay? Over here is what you believe. You're saved by grace. Over here is the whole Christian life. It's just being thankful for being saved by grace. And if those two things are kind of the main things in your life, the rest of it will sort of fall into place. Um, right? Being grateful is how we glorify God. It's how we live. That sounds nice, doesn't it? Now, let's talk about the reality. What these guys wrote is not the reality for most of us, is it? Why do we have to have a whole holiday just to be thankful? Right? Because, why do we need a whole day? Because we're not really thankful. You see, we, uh, <clears throat> we think we can live all year being selfish punks and then do the Thanksgiving circle at Thanksgiving Day before the turkey and be like, see, I'm a thankful person. Right? That's not how it works, right? And let's be honest, even the one day Thanksgiving, we're not really that thankful, are we? Thanksgiving is really about what? football. <laughs> you ever heard that, like, uh, the quote? I, I was looking up quotes on Thanksgiving, and this popped up and as an anonymous quote, and I thought this was really funny. On Thanksgiving Day, all over America, families sit down to dinner at the same moment, halftime. <laughs> it's pretty good, but it's pretty true. Um, yeah, so the reality is, we're, let's be honest, like, we're not as thankful as we should be. When, you know, we're, we're not as grateful as we should be. And so today what we're going to do is we're going to talk about Thanksgiving and thankfulness. And um, Last couple of years, we did it where I, we did a psalm, and we talked about Thanksgiving through a psalm. And I actually sort of started writing one that you'll hear next year. 
and I got halfway done with it, and then I decided something. Something in the Psalms sparked this idea in my head. What I want to do is I want to talk about Thanksgiving backwards. So instead of doing a psalm and talking about why we're thankful, uh, I want to talk about why am I not really a thankful person. Okay? Now, in seminary, they teach you to do three-point sermons. Um, Wait, Joel just texted me. You guys know Joel? Okay, he just texted me. My pastor's excited about the FIFA World Cup starting tomorrow because he wants to watch somebody else struggle to make three points fit into 90 minutes. It's pretty funny. (laughs) Um, So normally, you know, they tell you to do three-point sermon. Okay, today we're going to do a three-point sermon times five. And um, no, we have 15 things here, 15 ways we're not thankful. Here's how I want you to do it, though. I don't want you to remember all 15. I want you to pick one or two as we go through. So we're going to fly through these because there's a lot of them, and we have 38 minutes left. All right, here we go. Ready? The first one. The first reason we're not thankful, that you don't live your life as a thankful person, because you have a routine, and because you forget to be thankful. Most of us, when I say, I'm going to do a sermon on Thanksgiving and being a thankful person and having a heart of gratitude, none of you went, ugh, I don't want to be thankful. That's stupid. Right? Nobody said that. That's not, we all, this is something we would all like to do more and to be better at. Uh, but just life happens, right? Life gets in the way. You, you know, you've got your routine of going to church Sunday morning and work starts Monday. And then you've got, take the kids to soccer practice, even though none of us have that, right? But you know what I mean? Just, I don't know. Um, city life, you know, there's things to do in the city. And uh, you've got video games, and uh, Seinfeld. <laughs> and, uh, you know, we've got things we do. We have routines. You, you watch TV with the wife at night, whatever it is, right? Okay, and so when this... The problem is, though, that a lot of what, what our routine does, it just fills up all the time. And so there are things we would like to do that don't make it into the rotation, you know, it's like, um, I remember seeing a tweet. No, not a tweet. Was it a stand-up comedian or something? I don't remember. I think it was a stand-up comedian talking about the worst part about COVID is how it made a liar out of him. Because we all had things for years that we said, oh, man, if I only had time to do whatever, right? And then we didn't do any of it. Except I learned to play guitar, like, significantly better. That was the one thing on my list. I had, like, eight other things on my list. Guitar is the one that made it. Um, but, you know, it's true, right? We just, we thought, oh, if these things are important. But then we found out, oh, they're not really that important because all of a sudden our time got freed up and we didn't add things to it. But now we're back, right, to having this busy schedule. And unless we figure out time and a routine to be thankful, it's not going to accidentally happen. N- nobody ever tripped and fell into a pile of thankfulness. You know what I mean? That's like... It's something that we have to be intentional about. So we don't want to let routine get in the way. The next one, we think we've earned the good things. So we're not thankful because good things happen to us, and we go, of course it did. Look at me. I'm great. Right? There's a a saying, uh, you know, it goes, uh, how's it go? Uh, Oh, yeah. Uh, He was born on third base, and he thinks he hit a triple. You ever heard that? And what that means is there are a lot of folks out there, so generally that phrase is used for trust fund babies, that sort of stuff, you know, those those rich marina bros who have a house in the Hamptons who 
they think they're really smart, but like, wait, was it, was it Trump? Like, yeah, my parents didn't give me anything, only a $10 million loan or whatever. Do you remember that? And I was like, uh, you know, the rest of us never got a $10 million loan, you know? <laughs> right? That's the idea, right? Is we've been given great things and we think we've earned the great things. And here's the thing. In your lives, from a human perspective, there are things that you've earned. You went to college, whatever it was. You worked hard. You wrote your papers. You did your math homework. Right? You wrote your thesis to get your degree. And now you have a job, and you worked hard at your job, and you got promoted. And then something good comes from that. There's nothing wrong with being sort of proud of the fact that you've worked hard. Okay? But at the same time, that doesn't exclude you from going... Why was I smart enough to go to college? Because God made me this way. Why was I born in a place where I get to go to college? Most of the world doesn't even get to go to college. How did I win that lottery? Because God put me where I am, right? Most people aren't born with parents that could help pay for college if that was you. Or, you know, there's a lot of reasons to then look back at that same story and go, wow, God did all this really cool stuff for me so that now I am where I am and I did work hard to get here. But at the same time, without the stuff that he's given me, like none of this would have been possible. So that sort of perspective is really helpful when you get into this, uh, this mode of, I think I've earned what I have, right? All right, three. I have no idea how long this is going to take, too. We'll definitely finish on time, but if this only takes like 10 minutes, we'll... Okay, three, here we go. Ready? Uh, we compare ourselves to others who have it better. This is the one reason that a lot of people are not thankful, right? Because... I have $100, but he has 101 Grr. You know what I mean? This is something uh, built into the sinful human heart, is comparing ourselves to others who have it slightly better. But here's the deal, right? If you live in America, you have it better than everybody, ever. <laughs> right? Like, just being an American, even poor in America, still puts you in the top whatever percent of everybody who's ever lived in human history. Right? You, everybody in this room puts their head on a pillow at night. Right? Everybody in this room can walk up to a faucet and turn it on. And you know what comes out? Water. Right? For most of human history, that would have been like the craziest luxury. <laughs> just like having water. And so I think, I don't know, just that sort of perspective. Right? Like a couple years ago, I did this thing with our youth group kids where I told them, hey, we're having movie night. You know, we're going to watch a movie and talk about it. And they said, great. Or not a movie, you know, TV, whatever it was. And so I showed them this TV show called Million Dollar Rooms. Do you know this show? Okay. I'm not saying it's the best show in the world, but it's up there. These just totally gaudy. Like, so it's like a, like a real estate tour kind of show, except they only do one room, and the room has to have cost more than a million dollars to remodel. The room, not the house, right? The room. So this is like... Oh, I built a bowling alley for my kids. You know, uh, my favorite was this guy who was an asbestos lawyer. You know, he made all his money doing that. He's a believer. He lives in Houston. He built, like, the craziest theological library for pastors to go write, you know, do research. And, but it looks like this old medieval, like, building. And he, he has a chapel on the side that's modeled on the blueprints of the earliest Christian church that we know. And this guy spent all his mesothelioma money on that. Anyway, so I showed him, I don't remember what episode, something of like 
just total extravagant living room or something. The TV comes up out of the floor and the whole room turns and, you know, I don't remember, but it was just nuts, right? This million dollar room. And, they, and then I asked them, what did you guys think of that? Oh, that's so cool, man. I wish I had a million dollar room. Okay, and then the next thing we watched, I said, okay, we actually have one more thing to watch. And I took out the DVD. This was in DVD days. And I switched it with another DVD. That was a documentary about these two suburban middle-class white guys who moved to some Central American, I want to say, maybe South American village where the average person lives on less than a dollar a day. And they were like, we're going to try to live on less than a dollar a day with these folks for a month. And they had this system, though, because what they said was a lot of these guys don't get paid a dollar a day. It's not like every day they go get one dollar. And so they had a system where they kind of broke up their dollar a day into these sections, and then every day they'd have to spin a wheel. It's like, today we got zero dollars, and we have no food, and I'm hungry. So we watched million-dollar rooms, and the kids compared themselves to that and went, oh, man, my life sucks. I don't even have a living room that spins or whatever. And then we watched the dollar-a-day video. And all of a sudden, the kids had completely different attitudes. I feel like most of our lives, the, this one here, is we're, we're watching million-dollar rooms. And we're not thinking about, let's be honest, we have it pretty good. Like, God has been, if you live here and you show, you know, God has been very good to us. And so the, like, comparing it yourself to somebody who has it slightly better than you when you're all at the top is, really doesn't make a lot of sense. All right, let's keep going. Number four. Sin turns us inward. Okay. Uh, every week, somewhere in the sermon, we work in this story, right, about how the, the gospel works. And the gospel story starts that God created us good and perfect to be in a relationship with him, and then we broke it. And what God did was, in the garden, he put up a, um, a tree. We talked about the tree last week. And he said, don't eat from that tree. And by not eating from that tree, what you're doing is you're proving that I'm the Lord of your life, right? That you're facing outwards. Your joy is going to come from being a part of a relationship that's outside of you, not inside of you, right? By letting him call the shots, by letting him be the Lord, you're joining the dance of the Trinity. And Adam and Eve ate the fruit, the apricot, and they said, I don't want you to be the Lord anymore. That's what the rebellion was. I want to be in charge. It's, it's all about me, Right? And so what we did was instead of being outward-facing beings, sin went like this, and it faced us inward. And human beings are incredibly selfish and incredibly self-centered. And if you don't believe me, I have a, like an illustration I always use that's 100% true. How many times have you passed a car accident on a freeway and gone, why does this always happen to me when I'm late for something, right? There's always traffic. You've all done it. I've done it. Where the first thought was, this is so inconvenient for me. You don't know what happened. You don't know if anybody's hurt. Your first thought is never, boy, I hope everybody's okay. Your first thought is traffic. Why? Because it takes 10 minutes longer for you, right, to get to Chick-fil-A or whatever you're driving to. Right? That's what people drive to, right, because there's none around here. <laughs> right? that, that's what we're very selfish. Our selfish heart doesn't work very well with thanksgiving because thankfulness requires we look outward to the Father. 
Thanksgiving says we have to look out and say, this good thing comes not from me, comes from out there, comes from him. And every part of our being hates that, right? Our fallen sinful nature hates that outward facing thing. And that kind of leads into the second one or the fifth one here. Uh, we don't want to admit weakness, right? As pe- we don't like to be the, you know, um, uh, well, I'll read you the quote first and then I'll talk about it. Um, J.C. Ryle, Bishop Ryle, he said this, Thankfulness is a flower which will never bloom well, excepting upon a deep root of, humi- a root of deep humility. Basically, thanksgiving comes from humility. The, the idea of not being thankful comes from pride. Right? And so, uh, yeah, we don't want to admit that, like, uh, there was something we needed help with. You know how hard it is to ask for help? I've gotten a little bit better at this just because of all of you guys are pretty great with my back. You know, how often I start to pick something up and then you guys pick it up for me, <laughs> you know? But when that happens, I hate it, <laughs> right? The, the sinful, broken John part of me goes, I'm a man, I can pick things up, but let's be real. I'm a man, but I can't pick things up, <laughs> right? I have a busted back and I hate asking for help and I hate texting somebody, hey, could you come pick this thing up at my house for me? Or, you know, we, we, we don't like it. And that's with probably all of us in almost every facet of life, right? Like, um, imagine, I don't know, uh, somebody gives you, okay, uh, this is a scenario where I can prove that you don't like this. Imagine there's a, you're, you have some friends at church, and you guys are going to give each other Christmas presents. So you go out and you get them just a primo pair of socks, right? Just some nice, mm, some good socks, okay. And they bring you a MacBook Pro, the one you want. <laughs> How'd you feel? Right, you don't like the imbalance, do you? You don't like them having given you more than you gave them. We want it to be equal. Right? But the gospel tells us that's not how it works with the Lord. It's not equal. We're not giving him back. We give him this much. He gives us everything. And we hate, we don't, the, the sin part of us fights that. We don't like it. And so um, part of being a thankful person is admitting all I have for you is socks when you have a MacBook Pro for me, Lord. And you have to admit that, like, this is all I could come up with. Right? I have no money. I have nothing to give you except you know, my weakness. And that, those are the kind of people that God uses, is the people who come to him with weakness like that. Uh, six, we live with a very narrow kingdom perspective. Um, <clears throat> all right, I'm going to read you the verse here. Uh, this is from Matthew. I think this is one of the only verses we're going to read today. Matthew, nine, uh, sorry, 619. Do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth. So this is from the Sermon on the Mount. Where moths rust where uh, moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal. But lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust destroys, where neither thieves uh, and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. All right, you guys know that verse? Um, He actually goes on. He talks about more, but I don't need to read the whole thing. Basically, what Jesus is telling his disciples is you guys are saving up for like right in front of you when there's a whole life after that that you're not saving up for. 
right? And so um, the illustration I use for this a lot is um, when I was a kid, my mom had this friend um, who I remember she didn't really like driving us around. I don't remember if my mom ever said it out loud, but I think she did. And the reason was because this woman, she used to drive and she would look right in front of the car. You know, that's the worst way to drive. Because then something happens up here and you don't even see it coming. And I remember my mom saying that and thinking about that when I was a kid. That's really weird. And then I remember for some reason I had to get in a car with this woman and watching her do it and going, oh, after my mom had said it, so I was already watching for it. And I was like, oh my gosh, she's constantly slamming the brakes and skidding the car and thinking, boy, this is a terrible, I didn't know how to drive, but I was eight and I was like, this is a terrible way to drive, right? You can't just look right in front of your car. And that's how the perspective of the Christian is supposed to be the way you're supposed to drive. We're supposed to look out and have this whole field of view. We see the kingdom of God. We just read this with the New City Catechism, right? We see the new city and the life with God. And we think with my energy, my money, my time, my gratitude, everything, we're going to invest in the long term, not just what's right in front of the car, right? And so um, uh, as followers of Jesus, we want to work on constantly and help each other work on that perspective. Um, you know, I, I said a while ago, and uh, I forget, in one of the Luke sermons, and I'm, this is a good, like, I don't know a good motto to live by. You remember the WWJD bracelets from the 90s? What would Jesus do? You remember those? Okay, and I said, I don't really like those because Jesus was allowed to do some things we aren't what with being the son of God and everything. Um, so I never liked that motto. So my motto is not what would Jesus do? My motto is this, am I gonna care about this when I'm dead? <laughs> right, that's a, good, that's a good motto to live by. It, it, and, I mean, it's true. There are things you're going to invest in that you're not really going to care about when you're dead, but you still got to live for 80 years here or whatever it is, you know. But for the most part, it, it helps build in my life that kingdom perspective. So a lot of times there are things that I'm very upset about, and then that really helps calm me down. Am I going to care about this when I'm dead? I think with the idea of gratitude, that helps as well. Is because when we live with that narrow kingdom perspective we're not seeing the whole picture of what god is doing and we're not grateful for the things that he's doing uh, next seven see we're flying through these seven we lack discipline now uh i don't want this to be i don't mean this in a negative way the idea of spiritual disciplines when you think about it there's a there's a very wrong way to think about spiritual disciplines the wrong way to think about spiritual disciplines goes like this a discipline is something that I don't like doing, but I have to do for some reason. You know what I mean? Like, um, I don't know. I'd say working out, but I don't even do that. But working out would make sense, right? But then there's some weirdos that like working out. But pretend you're me and you hate running on a treadmill. And we think of spiritual disciplines as like the spiritual version of running on a treadmill. I know this is good for me, but I hate it. Okay, that is such the wrong way to think about spiritual disciplines. Um, so I don't want you to hear what I'm, this whole thing about being a disciplined person and um, uh, be burdened by it. Um, the, re the reality is um, spiritual disciplines, what I mean by that is really just uh, making time in your life for the things that you do think are important and the things that, um, uh, that you enjoy doing because you love the Lord, right? So, the example of this, just from every, you know, me and Melissa will plan like a date night. Okay, we're going to find a sitter. We're going to, right? 
is that a discipline? No, right? I like my wife. Sometimes she likes me. Just kidding. <laughs> right? No, we like each other and we want to hang out and spend time together. But at the same time, we got to like, some, you know, we got kids and everything. We got to find time to spend time together, right? So that's kind of what I mean by spiritual discipline. Now, what then does the discipline of being thankful look like? How do we fit that into our lives? What does that like practically look like? Well, there's a few things. You can just make it a habit to tell somebody else in church on a somewhat regular basis the things you're thankful for. How are you doing? I'm good. That's what we do at church. How are you doing? Oh, I'm good. Right. Oh, great. Or, you know, what's the, the joke about, like, the worst person in the world is the one who actually tells you how they're doing? You know, you ever seen that? <laughs> you know, you go to the bank teller. How you doing? Well, my mom's sick. Okay, can I deposit this check? You know, like, okay, but in church... We want to go deeper than how are you doing. We're giving each other permission to go past the pleasantries of how are you doing. How are you doing? Man, I'm just really grateful for blah, blah, blah. That would be a great thing to start working into conversations around church. Another discipline you can do is just write things down. I'm, you know, I'm not a huge journaling person, but this works for a lot of people. Just write, keep a list of the things you're thankful for. Um, work Thanksgiving into prayer. You know, when you're praying, make sure you're spending a lot of the time being thankful. All right, next, number eight. We're not thankful because we don't see any benefit to being thankful. All right, you can see the problem here is we're very, a lot of us are very, uh, you know, well, what do I get out of this? What do I get out of being thankful? And this is one of the reasons we don't work it into our routine. Because when you don't work it into your routine, what are you really losing is kind of the thought, right? What's noticeable? Well, let me tell you. What are the benefits of being thankful? Um, being a grateful person, having a heart of gratitude, is one of the ways, one of the things the Father has given us to reorient our hearts back to him. So we don't want to think of thankfulness like this. When God gives me something good, then I'm thankful, right? Even the ability to be thankful is a gift from God, is one of those things that we can be thankful for. Right? The fact that we're able to have this relationship with him and that we're able to have hearts that are free from the, the ultimate hold that sin has on us so that we can look at God and go, thanks for that. That's really great. Right? Even to have that ability right, is a gift. And so the thankfulness is not just something we do in response to the good things, just being thankful is one of the good things. And the more thankful you are, the more God points your heart towards him. Right? And so thankfulness changes us. And so what do you lose if you're not a thankful person? You lose a lot. Right? Being um, not grateful is one of the ways the devil turns you in towards yourself. Being grateful is one of the ways God turns you out to everybody else. Right? Like God um, points your heart at him and it it, it gives you a new perspective that then helps you deal with other people in a much more gracious way, right? If you're not a selfish, I earned everything I have kind of a guy, if you're a grateful person, you're going to treat other people. This is why R.C. Sproul and J.I. Packer said that, right? Even the idea of love, being a grateful person will make you more loving. It'll make you more generous because you realize, oh, all of this comes from grace. Um, some of these are kind of overlapping and connected, but I'm doing them all anyway. 
Uh, number nine, we are, um, one of the reasons we're not thankful is because we're okay thanking God for some stuff, but we want credit for the rest. Right? So this is uh, the how much do I have to be thankful for? Because let's be real, I'm awesome kind of one, right? You see the problem here? Um, this is like the f- Christian version of the first century Pharisee from the Gospels. Maybe I'm saved by grace. Okay, fine. But I'm going to continue in, in my own works, right? I need the selfish part of me to be validated. I need the selfish part of me to get some of the credit. And so this is sort of a cop-out. It's like, oh, yeah, we're saved by grace and everything. But everything about your life says you're not saved by grace. You know what I mean? It's like I, I'm saved uh, by works. And so I want some of the credit. I'm going to split it with God. And that's pretty good. He gets 50% of the credit. I get 50% of the credit. That'll keep you from being thankful. Number 10, we're not thankful because we never thought to ask God to make us more thankful. Jerry Bridges, um, oh wait, I see. Uh, Jerry Bridges says this. He's like an author, Christian author guy. Thanksgiving is not a natural virtue. It's a fruit of the spirit given by him, right? Thanksgiving is not the natural mode of the human heart. And so, like I said earlier, just even the ability to be thankful is a gift from God. As he changes you, he turns you into somebody who's more thankful. And so part of your prayer should not just be, Lord, I'm thankful that you gave me blah, blah, blah. Lord, I'm thankful for this in my life. I'm thankful for yada, yada. Some of the prayer in your life should go like this. Boy, I'm not really thankful, am I? Lord, I want to be. So I need you to make me into that kind of person. I need you to make me into the kind of person that my first thought when something like this happens is not, of course, look at me, I'm great. But my first thought is, wow, I can't believe I'm getting this thing I don't deserve. I can't believe God is being this good to me, right? And you can go to the Lord and just be like, I'm not that kind of person. So I, the only way that's going to happen is if you make me like that. We just never thought to ask for it. Uh, number 11, I'll thank him when, uh, this is the conditional thanks, right? I'm going to thank God when he does what I want, okay? I, I have this plan for my life, and when he gives me the things in the plan for my life, I'm going to thank him. And when he goes off course, he's not getting any of this thanks. Or I'll thank God maybe when he looks more like the kind of God I want him to be, right? I come to scripture, there's some things I don't like about the way he says he is. And that kind of God doesn't deserve my thanks, or whatever it is. We just put conditions on the thanksgiving for God. As like, our thanksgiving is something he needs to be happy. And we're manipulating him. You know, that's actually, that's how the um, Old Testament, um, the religions in Canaan and around, like in the ancient world, uh, this is how they worked was you would manipulate the gods with your offering of thanksgiving because the god needed that, and then he would give you rain or, for, you know, the fertility god or whatever it was, right? Um, you would manipulate God like that. And we all do that a little bit, don't we? Like, I'm going to hold back my thanksgiving. Uh, number 12, see, we're flying through these. Uh, we've forgotten the story. Okay, so this works in two ways. One is... We've forgotten the biblical story, or we just don't even know it very well, right? Uh, What's the book of Obadiah about? Yeah, see? 
that face you all made was because you never read Obadiah. No, anyway, we don't know the Bible as well as we should. We don't know the story as well as we should. And there's actually a story in the Bible about this. So there's a king, his name's Josiah. And uh, one day, some of Josiah's buddies were out there in the temple, and they're like, ah, we're going to remodel the temple. So they're out there working, and they're hammering, and uh, I feel like chiseling's a thing that people do. I never remodeled anything. And uh, they're buffering the floors, you know, and somewhere they come across like a box with some books in it, and they open it up, and it's the Pentateuch. And they go, they read it together with the king, and they go, uh, we didn't do any of this stuff. And they start to freak out, and there's this whole revival across the land, right? As they remembered the story, their hearts were changed, and the nation was changed, right? And I feel like in a lot of churches, that's a similar situation. But the second way that this works is not just you don't know the Bible story, is you just forgot your own story, right? When was the last time you had a long time praying about how you became a believer? Lord, I thank you that blah, 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 you know, that, you know, that I met Corey and Natalie and John and Kayla, you know, and Melissa, you know, like you're, or for me, it's like I met Bill, the guy who kind of shared faith with me, and Lord, you put that guy in my life, and when was the last time I really just sat down and thought about that? I don't know, it's been a while. Right? So I forgot my own story. We do it, right? So the solution to that is scripture, pray more about the things God's done for us. Show up, listen to sermons. Most sermons we go through, not 15 points of things John thinks, but like here's what the Bible says, right? Um, our church liturgy is ordered on purpose to kind of move you through the flow of the gospel, right? So we do these regular things to remember the story. 13, we're almost done. 15 is really long though, so that's why you guys are. I was just listening to a Tim Keller thing the other day, and he was like, okay, here's the three points. He always gives the three points at the front, and then he did the first one in like a minute. And he was like, don't get, don't get excited, yeah. Uh, okay, what was I on? 13. Um, we are not thankful uh, when we are mad at God. Okay, maybe mad is too strong of a word. Maybe sometimes not. Confused might work there too. Uh, upset, you know. You know what I mean when I'm talking about this? Like uh, medieval theologians called this the dark night of the soul. Sometimes our life just does not go the way we thought it was going to go. And, you know, things go really poorly. And it's easy to look at God and go, what are you doing? In those moments, it's very hard to look at God and go, I'm thankful for my circumstances. I'm thankful that I have no idea what you're doing, but you're good anyway. Right? And so being in those moments, that will keep you from, that'll keep you from having a heart of gratitude. 14. We're bombarded with messages about how good we are. Right? So we live in the most in the West, right? And we live in the most individualistic culture in the history of the world, right? The individual is the king here. And it already was like that. And then in the 1940s and the whole existentialism movement, we took this to the extreme, right? With this whole, you can Google existentialism, but basically the idea is that you're the center of everything. <laughs> and all the meaning in your life has to come from within you. And so when we're constantly bombarded, so every TV show you watch, like, what was I watching? Uh, oh, we were just watching a reality show, Married at First Sight. I'm not saying it's the greatest show in the history of the world, but it's definitely up there. Uh, yesterday, the, one of the couples that just got, okay, so they get married without ever meeting each other. Like it's like a legal marriage. 
And, uh, hi, I'm John, you know, hi, I'm Melissa. Oh, okay, right. And so then they, they're married for like a bunch of time. Anyway, so one of the couples was fighting yesterday and he called her inauthentic. And it was like, he said, you cheated on me and called her like the worst name. And so by, but the whole thing was like, yeah, but I'm being true to myself. And they had this big fight about authenticity. And I was just sitting there chuckling because I was like, this is two people that have this worldview that don't even know that's where it comes from. And they're kind of fighting about different things because they don't see it quite the same way. One of them is way more of an existentialist than the other one, and it was causing problems in his marriage. And anyway, but like this is the world. You watch TV, and you're bombarded with these messages that you just have to be true to yourself, and you're the most important thing in the whole world. And then you go watch a movie, and they tell you, you know, just be true to yourself, and you're the most important thing in the world. And then you listen to a song, and guess what it says, right? You get the idea. So we're constantly bombarded with these messages. And we don't even realize how much of that we pick up. That, oh, yeah, maybe I am the most important thing in the whole world. <laughs> it's really hard to be told your entire life constantly that you're the center of everything and all. Like, and then stack on top of that the American dream. You have to work hard and earn what comes to you. And all of a sudden, it's very hard to be grateful, to get something from God and go, of course I'm not the center of the world. You are. Of course I didn't earn this thing. God gave it to me. And that's tough. All right. Um, oh, wait, I have a quote here, too. If we are proud of our talents, we betray our lack of gratitude to God. As you just think, man, I'm so great, and I'm the center of everything, it doesn't work. All right, here's 15, last one. We made it, you guys. 15, all right, here we go. We don't realize that we should be thankful for something. All right, this is what I was talking about earlier. <clears throat> Um, how many of you ever got a flat tire? And then was like, Lord, I'm thankful for flat tires. Okay. It's hard to be thankful for the bad things that happen to you in life. Right? Okay. So I used this illustration. I've talked about this recently like a handful of times. And finally, I was like, you know what? I'm just going to read to them from the book. Okay. So the book is The Hiding Place. It's like one of the greatest books of all time. And I've talked to you about the fleas before. I told you the story. But I didn't get parts of it right. And so, <laughs> uh, you know, I had read it a while ago, and I was just kind of remembering and using it as a sermon illustration. But I want to read to you the actual two passages from the book. Okay, so here's the story. Corey Tenboom and her sister Betsy are... <clears throat> oh, I should have written it down. I don't... Polish? Does anybody know? Are they Polish? I don't remember. Somewhere in, in Europe during the Nazis, you know. And so uh, what they do is uh, they hide a bunch of Jewish folks in their house. And somebody rats them out. And they get busted. And they get sent from, uh, to one concentration camp. And then at one point they get moved to, and they end up at the same concentration camp together at a place called Ravensbrück. And so this whole part of the story takes place at the second concentration camp. Dutch, okay. Um, eventually, Betsy dies. The sister does not make it through the concentration camp. Corey Tenboom does, and she writes the book. And you think, oh, she's such a great person, but if you actually read the book, her sister's kind of the hero of the story. And I love how honest Corey Tenboom is in the book about her struggles and that sort of stuff. It's, I can't recommend this book highly enough. All right. 
Suddenly, I sat up, striking my head on the cross slats above. Something had pinched my leg. Fleas, I cried out. Betsy, this place is swarming with them. We scrambled across uh, the intervening platforms, heads low to avoid another bump, dropped down to the aisle, and edged our way to the path of light here. And here's another one. Betsy, how can we live in such a place? Show us. Show us how. It was said so matter-of-factly, it took me a sec to realize that Betsy was praying. I love that. More and more, uh, the distinction between prayer and the rest of life seemed to be vanishing for Betsy. By the way, can I just say complete sidebar, and I hope he doesn't listen to the podcast. This is one of my favorite things about Chris Robbins. He does this. He does what Betsy just did. He'll be talking to me, and then all of a sudden, he says something. I'm like, what are you? Oh, we're praying. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, the, the line with him between prayer and just life is very blurred, more than the rest of us, and I love it. It's like challenged me a lot hanging out. He reminds me of Betsy. So nobody from uh, First Press tell him I said that. Okay. Um, where was I? Uh, oh, Corey, she said excitingly. He's given us the answer. Before we asked, before we asked, as he always does, in the Bible this morning, where was it? Read that part again. There's a long story here where they were able to smuggle a Bible in um, because they didn't do the proper checks and stuff when they came into Ravensbrook, and it, they had Bible studies and all this stuff. Um, I glanced down the long, dim aisle to make sure no guard was in sight, and I drew the Bible from its pouch. It was in First Thessalonians, I said, we were on our third complete reading of the New Testament since leaving some other concentration camp that I can't pronounce. In the feeble light, I turned the pages. Here it is. Comfort the frightened. Help the weak. Be patient with everyone. See that none of you repays evil for evil, but always seek to do good to one another and to all. It seemed expressly written to Ravensbrook. Go on, Betsy said. That wasn't all of it. Oh, yes. To another and to all. Rejoice always. Pray constantly, give thanks in all circumstances, for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus. That's it, Corey. That's the answer. Give thanks in all circumstances. That's what we can do. We can start right now and to thank God for every single thing about this new barracks. I stared at her, then around me in the dark, fouled aired room, such as, I said, such as being assigned here together, which was kind of a miracle. I bit my lip. Oh, yes, Lord Jesus, such as the Bible you're holding in your hands. I looked down at the Bible. Yes, thank you, dear Lord, that there, were no, there was no inspection when we entered here. Thank you for all the women here in this room who will meet you in these pages. Yes, said Betsy. Thank you for the crowding here since we're packed so close that so many more will hear us. She looked at me expectantly. Corey, she prodded. All right. <laughs> thank you for the jammed, crowded, stuffed, packed, suffocating crowds. Thank you, Betsy went on serenely, for the fleas. And for the fleas, this was too much. Betsy, there is no way even God can make me grateful for a flea. Give thanks in all circumstances, she quoted. Remember, they're sitting in a concentration camp when this happens. It doesn't say in all pleasant circumstances. Fleas are part of the place that God has put us. And so we stood between the piers of bunks and gave thanks for the fleas. But this time, I was sure that Betsy was wrong. And you jump forward a whole bunch of stories. Betsy gets sick and has to work inside. And um, Okay, so I'm going to read to you. Some of this is not going to make sense if you don't read the whole story. But uh, One evening, I got back to the barracks late from uh, a wood gathering foray outside the walls. 
A light snow lay on the ground, and it was hard to find the sticks and the twigs with which a small stove uh, was kept going in each room. Betsy was waiting for me, as always, so that we could, uh, we could wait through the food line together. Her eyes were twinkling in a concentration camp. Her eyes were twinkling. You're looking extraordinarily pleased with yourself, I told her. You know, we've never understood why, so much, why we had so much freedom in the big room where they were able to do Bible studies and a bunch of people became believers, she said. Well, I found out. That afternoon, she said, there'd been confusion in her knitting group about the sock sizes. They're inside knitting socks for the soldiers and stuff. And they asked the supervisor to come settle it, but she wouldn't. She wouldn't step through the door and neither would any of the guards. And do you know why? Betsy could not keep the triumph from her voice because of the fleas. I can see like Seinfeld, the fleas, you know. Um, that's what she said. That place is crawling with fleas. And my mind rushed back to our first hour in this place. I remembered Betsy's bowed head and I remember that she gave thought, thanks to God for the creatures that I could see no sense for. Right? Oh, so this is an amazing story, and it's gut-wrenching. But generally, when we think of Thanksgiving, we think it works like this. When I see something for that from my perspective looks good, I'm going to give God thanks for that good thing. And when I see something bad, I'm going to complain about it. And I'm going to tell God what I really think. But the Betsy Ten Boom approach is much more rooted in kingdom life. I will thank God in all circumstances because I know that my perspective is too narrow and that no matter what happens to me and no matter what my situation is, he is good. I'm going to root my thanksgiving in the fact that he's good, not just in the circumstances. So those are our 15 ideas. Now, I don't want you to remember all 15, like I said. What I wanted to do today was just cast a wide net and hope that everybody here could be challenged by one or two of the ideas. Um, I want to end just with two things. First, this. I want you to not take away from this, okay, I have to be more thankful. The big thing is I want you to look at your heart and go, man, I'm really not that thankful. Hopefully is probably what's going on. And I want you to do what I said earlier, is pray for the heart that's a thankful heart. And also, like just the regular kind of disciplines that God gave us is what turns us into that kind of a thankful person. It's the method that he uses to make us more thankful. And so we're actually going to um, do this a little bit different. We're not going to, I know we have the slide in there, but we're going to skip um, the confession part of today. Normally what we do is I finish the sermon and it goes like this. You guys are terrible. The end. Now let's do confession. And you confess, and then I go, and no matter how terrible you are, God's goodness is greater than your terribleness. And then we take communion, and we remember that, right? So I want to do things a little bit different today, though. We're going to end with a little exercise in Thanksgiving. Okay, so if you have a phone or something, uh, get your phone out. Does anybody have something? Or um, something to write with. We have pencils in the back, um, and you can grab one of the little booklets. Um, because I want you to write three things down, okay? If you've got something to write with. The first is this. We're going to spend just like three minutes answering these three questions in your notes app or whatever it is. What keeps you from being thankful? So we did 15 things here. You don't have to remember them all. You could even come up with your own that I didn't do. Should have been a 16-point sermon, John. That's what you're all thinking. Uh, so what keeps you from being thankful? 
The second thing is, what are you going to do about it? Right? What, how are you going to, maybe it's just I'm too busy to be thankful. Great. What are you going to go home and change? What are you going to pray about? What are you going to think about? Um, it could just be I'm going to make a list of the things. It could be uh, I'm going to go read that Thessalonians passage, right? Nothing. Fa- there's nothing fancy here, just the regular stuff. And then the third thing is maybe just write down one thing you're thankful for. Right, one thing you've, in thinking about this, you thought, wow, maybe I should be grateful for blah, 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 whatever it is. You know what I mean? Uh, 